Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the characters of Christmas. You know, last week, we looked into somebody we often don't focus on, Caesar Augustus, who puts out a decree that everybody has to go back to their land, you know, their hometown, and they're going to get taxed just like every politician likes to do. They like to drop the tax bomb on you, right? Uh, now, of course, he wasn't like an elected ruler, so he can do that. He wasn't worried about elections. Uh, but we learned a lot about that guy last week, and we saw how this impacted you know, Mary and Joseph, because there she is. Imagine being 38, 39 months pregnant, and hey, now you gotta go like 80, 80 or so miles over here, and you know, you're not gonna get to do it in a car. You're gonna to have to do it like by walking it or maybe sitting on a mule or something like that. Uh, probably that's not good. But there are these other characters, the Magi. How many of you have heard of the Magi? Have you ever wondered who those people are? There's a little bit of a mystery around these people, but there they are in scripture. I'm gonna begin in a little bit of a unique way because I think scripture was saying a lot more than some people even thought. Paul said this in Romans, very famously in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. He said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he asked this question in the very next verse. Well, how then can they call on him that they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And this is what Paul says. He goes, oh, they have heard of him. They have. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 18. He says, but did I, did I ask? But I asked, did they not hear? And yes, they did. And then he gives this quote, their voice has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. Isn't that interesting? What is Paul talking about there? I mean, when you read this, I was thinking, well, well who's, who's the they? Who's their voice? Their voice has gone out to the ends of the world. Who is it? And the answer is, is he's quoting Psalm 19 verses one through four. Look at it real fast. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And then this is exactly the part that Paul was quoting. Their voice goes out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So whose voice is it? And the answer is the creation, the stars. We're speaking. The one who made the objects in the heaven, the sun, the moon, and the stars, he did so to mark not just the seasons, but also to mark signs. I can prove it. Look at Genesis chapter one, verse 14, and I provide it for you. It says, and God said, and this is in the, the account of creation itself. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And so it was so. Now I know what you're sitting out there thinking, you're going, that is fascinating. So what you have is Paul on the one hand saying, well, how can they believe if they don't hear? Oh, but they heard. Well, how did they hear? You saw it in the stars. And this reminds us of something that you find in Matthew chapter two, verses one and two, when the characters that I had just mentioned before, that little bit of a who are they, there was this moment in their life. Look at Matthew chapter two, verses one and two. 
It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Is this story starting to come together just a little bit for you? Because sometimes I think when we get into creation, the creation narrative in Genesis, we just think, oh, he's just creating stars. It's like slap and they're up there. Maybe that's part of the story. But I think what you're finding is there was actually a lot more that God was doing. Let's talk about the Magi for just a second. Who were these guys? Well, there were some traditions. I'm not telling you they're true. I'm telling you there's some traditions out there around these guys. You wanna know some of them? Um, well, here's a couple of things. The legends and myths surrounding these guys usually go back to around the Middle Ages. Tradition says that they were kings. We don't actually know that. Uh, tradition says that there were three of them. Why were there three of them, class? Because there were? Three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know that there were three, but whatever. That's tradition. Tradition also says that one came from India, one came from Egypt, and another came from Greece. How many of you knew that? Yeah, nobody. Uh, did you, <laughs> you're, are y'all scribbling all this down now? Merry Christmas. Um, did you know that by tradition, we actually know their names? Melchior, Balthazar, and Caspar, the friendly... Uh, the friendly Magi. All right, actually, we do have their names, at least by tradition. That last part I threw in because it just cracks me up. Legend also has it. You've probably heard of Thomas in, in the Bible. Legend also has it that the disciple Thomas baptized these guys. Did you know that? Is this not fun? Are you not learning things this Christmas season? Uh, here's more. Years after their death, uh, Helena, some say Helena, the mother of the Roman Emperor Constantine, by tradition, I'm just saying by tradition, um, actually went and discovered their burial place, dug their bones up, and now their bones reside in the cathedral in Cologne, Germany. Sermon's over. That's, that's about all we know about these guys. All right, I, I, all of that is by tradition. I actually wanna get into a little bit of other things that I think are more important for the Christmas story this year. So they're called magi, um, wise men who interpreted special signs. There, there are at least three reasons for this identification for this. Uh, first, they acknowledged that they were interested in signs in the heavens. So there's that. Second, the Bible states that they were from the east, which means that they were from the direction of Babylon. For those of you that haven't maybe put this together yet. Babylon was the place that God's people were exiled. When you read, for example, the book of Daniel, they were exiled because of their idolatry and they came in exile under a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had decided to conscript some of God's people into key positions of leadership. One of those people was a guy named Daniel who the book is named after. But if you continue to read the book of Daniel, it's kind of interesting because this guy takes on a profound place 
of influence, not just in the royal palace, but in terms of what happens when you bring God's people into your presence. They start to speak things to you. And one of the things that they were speaking is the stories that they believed, the message that had been given to them. And here's what you find is that Daniel, here he is in this position of influence in the government. This is 600 or more years before Jesus. He foretells the coming of Christ in Daniel chapter nine, verses 24 to 26. Let me read it for you. It says, a period of of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler the anointed one comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite perilous times. And after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. Then will come with a flood and war with its miseries are decreed from that time until the very end. You need to be thinking six to 700 years before Christ. Daniel was speaking to the people of Babylon. There's a Messiah that is coming and he's going to put everything back together. Now, think about this, that tradition at that time, going around the time of Daniel gets handed down generation to generation to generation. You need to remember with Nebuchadnezzar, he had magi. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was this guy that had been having all of these dreams. And as he was having dreams and visions that were really disturbing to him, he was bringing his magi in to say, you need to interpret this for me. And they couldn't do it. So he brings Daniel in and Daniel's able to give him the message of what all the dreams actually mean. Well, Daniel gave them a lot of messages. One of which was not just what's happening now, but in Daniel nine, there's something that's going to be happening in the future and you need to be looking to the sky because God is gonna speak to you. Six, 700 years later, the Magi look up to the sky and they see the star and they say, he's here, he's born and we're gonna go see him. Isn't it amazing when you actually start to unpack the Bible a little bit more closely, how much God was speaking to people, even in creation itself. He told about the fact that he was gonna be coming. It reminds me of this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A hope deferred. Here, you imagine Daniel speaking to the Magi or speaking to the king's court or speaking There's one that is going to bring hope, but you wait. You're gonna wait. I have a question for you this morning. How good are you with waiting? Don't you love it? It is one of my favorite things to do. I'm totally kidding. And if if you're like me, it is one of my least favorite things to do. I have to admit, I'm not very patient. And especially when I think it's something that's owed to me. 
or especially when I think my timing is better. How about you? So imagine here you have this promise in the Old Testament, God is going to do something. The Messiah is going to come and you're gonna wait. You're gonna wait. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Bring it on. Why not now? But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Here's some life lessons I think that are worth taking from the Magi. And here's the first thing that I want to kind of put in and press into your heart this morning. Wise men and wise women will follow God's direction. Wise men and wise women will follow God's direction. These wise men followed a a divinely given star at the beginning of the story. You saw this in Matthew chapter two, verses one and two. And if you look at Matthew chapter two, verse 12, they're given a dream at the end of it and they were willing to follow. Let, Let me encourage you with these words this morning. This Christmas season, let's expect God to guide us in unexpected ways. In unexpected ways. Are you, are you like the Magi even looking? Um, if you are like most Americans, the answer right now is you're not even looking. Most Americans don't even care. It's a fact. Most Americans are not atheists. Most Americans are not agnostic. Most Americans don't care. But when it comes to the question of God, you'd better care. Because if God exists, it changes everything. Not caring is not an option. Searching really matters. Maybe we need to follow the cue of the Magi and we need to be seeking. We need to be searching. So let's expect God to reveal himself in unexpected ways this Christmas season. Here's the second thing that I wanna put in front of you. How we search for God makes a difference. How you search for God really makes a difference. I have this question, you know, how can I find and experience God? And scripture actually gives us an answer. If you really seek him, you will find him. If you really seek him, you will find him. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm just quoting him. I'm not making it up. These are also the words of Jeremiah. If you were to look at Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In other words, there's a sincerity to your search. You're really looking for the truth. You put down your cynicism. You put down your negativism. You put all of that down and you literally come before the Lord and say, show yourself to me. I'm looking for you. Please show yourself to me. Here's what he says. I will. Oh, I will. He did it to the Magi. He did it for them. He will do it for you. What I'm not saying is that you're gonna walk out one night and go, oh, look, a star. But he will speak to you. He will speak to you. He's not trying to hide from you. He's wanting you to find him. I have this, I was thinking about this week. If, if I have an appointment with you and I just wanna get it done as quickly as possible and move on to the next thing, do you think that you'll know that when you're with me? <laughs> do you? Uh, you would probably be able to tell it from a number of things. Uh, one is my body language. You can kind of tell I'm physically present, like I'm present in body and absent in spirit. You just kind of flip it, you know what I'm saying? You look and you go, he's there, but he ain't there. You know what I mean? Have you ever, have you ever been like that with somebody? Probably the way that you would feel if you're in the room with me and I'm doing that to you is you would feel disrespected. Is that fair? I can imagine that God often feels the same way with the way that we're seeking after him. That the nature of our search is, look, I'll call out to you when I want something from you, but I don't really want you. 
I think you could probably find that that would be a little bit offensive to the Lord. Is that fair? The way that we search for him matters. And Jeremiah and Jesus both said, search for him with your heart. With your heart. There's an openness that you're coming to him with. And that means that there's an openness for what he's going to say to you when you find him. But if I come into a meeting expecting that I'll get to know you better and you expecting to get to know me better, that there are some things that you're gonna learn about me, there's gonna be some things that I learn about you, usually those make for better meetings. Isn't that fair? Maybe let's approach God like that this Christmas season. Another thing we learned from the Magi is finding God is a journey. If they came, as most Old Testament scholars think, if they came from the area, which was Babylon, which would be modern day Iraq, you need to be thinking Baghdad dropped down about 59, 60 miles and you're there. These guys had quite a hike. That means that when their journey began, they were moving about 800 or more miles to see the Christ child. Can you agree with me? That was quite a journey. And again, they didn't fly. There was a little bit of a hike involved. They had to walk. They had to go by animal and whatnot. They had to get there. And they were following the star the entire way. But we're reminded of this. They were coming from a place where God was needing to be known and they left it to go to where they could find God. Maybe you're in the exact same place. You need to move from where you are at. You need to get in a different space so that you can actually see God. It's what the Magi did. And at the end of their journey, they found him and they worshiped him. They found him. Uh, for some of you, you're a lot like me. You've been trying to find your meaning in places that you were never intending, intended to find your meaning. It's the problem of trying to, you know, fill a, a round hole with a square peg. It just doesn't work. But we have this promise in scripture from Psalm 37, four. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's two parts, friends. There are two parts that are there. The first part, it says, take delight in the Lord. And I want you to think of something that you delight in right now. That could be, I don't know, I'll throw something out there. Steak. Because I, I like steak. You, maybe you delight in that. Maybe you delight in your spouse. Maybe you, maybe you delight in, in some hobby or vocation that you've got. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying creation. That's what God created it for. You remember this in Genesis, he creates it. Here's all this food, go and snack it up, it's good. Here's your wife, y'all enjoy each other. This theme of enjoying creation is all over the book. Here's what he says, don't worship it, don't worship it, and we do. We find our ultimate delight in things that weren't meant to be our ultimate delight. And so the way the couplet begins in Psalm 37, four, is it says, delight in what? Delight in the Lord. Here's some other translations. Take pleasure in him or seek your happiness in him. Boy, that fits with the Magi, doesn't it? Seek him, seek him. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote The Weight of Glory, 
And he was talking about this idea of happiness. He said, being happy and happy isn't a problem with the Christian faith. Here's what he said. He said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And he goes on to say, we are far too easily pleased. We will settle for trinkets rather than glory. We are far too easily pleased. And here's what that means, he says. That means we are seeking our ultimate happiness in all of the wrong places. It can only be found in him. The first part, of the couplet in Psalm 37, four, as he says, delight in the Lord. And the second part is, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He'll give you the desires of your heart. I was thinking about that. There are a lot of things I desire. But when I started thinking more deeply about it, some of the things I desire are good and some of the things I desire are not so good. How many of you are like me in that? I don't think that what he wants to do today is to give me all the desires of my heart that aren't good. I don't think that he wants that for me. Instead, I think it's something else. I think what a loving father gives their child is something that is good for them. Look at what Luke eleven twelve says. What father among you, if your son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion instead? Now on the face of it, that sounds kind of like a dumb thing to say, doesn't it? Unless you know something about scorpions over in the ancient Near East. Some of them are so big that when they ball up like this, they actually would look like an egg. Now, can you imagine if a father, I'm a father, I have four daughters. Now imagine if as a father, I were to take a scorpion that is balled up and I were to go to one of my daughters and say, hey, here is something for you. It's a blessing, put it in your hand. How many of you would think, you know what? That guy deserves father of the year award accolades right now. Probably none of you. And this is actually the point that Jesus is making. Yet, why would I give you a bad thing? Why would I give you something that hurts you? If I love you, then in fact, wouldn't I withhold the bad thing from you and only give you the good things that I desire for you? That's actually the point. I love what Tim Keller says. He said, God will either give us what we, we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. By the way, he knows a lot more than you. All right. Sometimes that's exactly what the father is doing. I'm not gonna give you what you ask for because in the end, there isn't gonna be good behind it. I'm not gonna give you a scorpion, but I do wanna give you a blessing. So what does it mean in the second part of Psalm 37, four, when it says he'll give us the desires of our heart? I think it can mean something like this that when we delight in the Lord, he actually starts to give us new desires. He, he changes the things that we desire. In other words, he gives us good desires themselves. Now you still have to choose, but he gives good desires themselves. And so the more we delight in the Lord, the more our desires change to become what he wants for us. St. Augustine said it like this. He said, love God and do as you please. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Except he goes on to say this. 
For the soul trained to love God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. That's what love looks like. Love by definition has sacrifice attached to it, doesn't it? It has sacrifice attached to it, which means that you can think very practically just in the sense of of a marriage. You You have this choice to have an affair or you have this choice to love your spouse but you can't have both. What this, would, what this would look like, it doesn't just mean love means you do as you please. The soul trained to love God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. That you actually get to the point where the idea of hurting the heart of God is something that you can't stand anymore. Just like the idea of doing something that would break the relationship that you would have in your marriage, you just couldn't do something like that. Why? Because that's what love is. That's what love is. That is what I think the second part of Psalm 37 is trying to say. Paul gives us this in Philippians 2.13. He said, God is working in you. He's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Have you ever been in a moment of decision You're being tempted. Or is this just me? You're facing a temptation and you know that you have a decision to make. And you had enough presence of mind in the moment to say, I don't have the strength to do this. Like I'm beat, like you can feel it. You know what I'm saying? You can feel it. I'm getting beat here. Until you say, help me. And then every bit of power that is his, comes into you to win. This is what Paul is saying. So the Magi, who for generations and generations and generations were hearing, there's a Messiah that's coming, there's a Messiah that's coming, there's a Messiah that's coming, and then a star, boom, up in the sky, and they say, he's here, let's go. Maybe today, your journey begins because at the end of their search, they found what they were looking for. I have a question for you. How many U2 fans do we have out there? Now in the first service, I had people hear me say YouTube. I did not say that. I said U2, it's the band. You know who I'm talking about? Bono and those guys. All right, Edge. All right, I'm I'm a U2 fan. If you go back, this was back in 1987. Uh, So that was a little bit of time ago. They had this album called The Joshua Tree. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Get those hands up if you know what I'm talking about. There you go. All right, nobody over here from what I can tell. And that's fine. Not everything's about the students, but they're gonna learn a little bit about some good rock history right now. Does that sound good? So back in 1987, The Joshua Tree, this was an album inspired by the band's experience of America. I don't know if you knew that. They were younger, they come over and they're like, all this stuff about America. And they come over here and they kind of survey the land and everything. They said to find out what was kind of real and what was not real. And YouTube's lead singer, which is Bono, he referred to this song that he wrote. He said, this is a gospel song, but it has a restless spirit. And it's called, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. All the search. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Look at some of the things that he wrote down. He said, I've climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you. 
See, Bono in his testimony has actually talked about the time where he came to Jesus. And it was at Christmas. And I wanted to share his story with you this morning because here's what he said. He said, it dawned on me for the first time, really. It, it had dawned on me before, but it really sank in, the Christmas story. Because there it was. I was sitting there and it's not that it hadn't struck me before, but tears came down my face. And I saw the genius of this, utter genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Because that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. Love needs to find form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. To me, it makes sense. It's actually logical. It's pure logic. Essence has to manifest itself. It's inevitable. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. He found Jesus that Christmas. I just hope that you would this Christmas. For some of you, it's not a matter of you know, putting your trust in Christ. You go, I did that some time ago. This Christmas, I want you to reclaim the intimacy that you need with Jesus. Delight in him again. And for some of you, you've just lost it. It's just been gone. You've been running. You've been running. And all from a faith that you say that you have. And you run and you try to fill yourself up with things. And Jesus is just saying, stop, stop. It wasn't what it was for. Put things back in the right place and you'll find me again. Even believers can fall trapped to this. But this morning, the most important decision that you'll make is what you do with Jesus. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.